Again, we'll start with Luke 11, and beginning with verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he's going to answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut now, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise again and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So now we'll turn to uh, Luke 18, beginning with verse 1. And Jesus told them a parable, an effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And Jesus said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is God's word. So the previous two weeks, we've read stories with happy endings. Uh, While learning about personal prayer, Daniel's promise-based prayer ends with with an angel flying down to to Daniel and saying, Daniel, you are greatly loved. And he assures him as soon as he started praying, God had already started to answer his prayer. A wonderful ending to a story about praying Personally, And then last week, we learned from Joel about praying with others, with other people. And, and in that case, the prayer of God's people is answered. He, he gives to them again, again grain and wine and crops. And not only can they survive with basic needs, but they can worship God properly again with their grain offerings and with their drink offerings. And... This week is a bit of a timeout. It's a bit of a kind of a pause because a few of you, having heard these stories, these happy endings, approached and asked me, which is a very fair question, what then about my prayers? Why is God not answering my requests? And if that's you this morning, you are certainly not alone. And unfortunately, when you only seem to get silence or static from God, 
we start going down an unhealthy but, but understandable way of thinking. Either we begin to think something is wrong with me or something is wrong with my prayers. Maybe I'm not praying the right way. We start to think, or maybe I'm not addressing God the right way or saying the right kinds of things in my prayers. As, as if prayer is some sort of, sort of magical incantation, right? You add a little dash of this word, a little dash of this, and you say the right thing at the end, and whoosh, God answers. So either we can go to that extreme saying something's wrong with me, something's wrong with my prayers, or we start to wonder if something's wrong with God. Maybe he isn't the good father I thought he was. Maybe he is remote disinterested in me, too busy. And people can encourage you, even Christians, give you advice on this, but the, but the longer God stays silent, the more deeply we, we, we think, more deeply gets ingrained, the problem is either my praying or a distant God. And the two parables we see here today deal with this issue, this, this deep issue of God's delay. In one parable, a neighbor hears a man's cry for help and for bread, but initially remains asleep. In the other parable, a judge persistently refuses to hear a woman's cry for help, a cry for justice. And while we're rightly told that God is better than a a sleepy neighbor or a cold-hearted judge, and we're told that God won't long delay in answering us, the thing Jesus said here at the end that we read was, nevertheless, when I come back, When I come back, will I find faith on the earth? In other words, your prayers, even for justice, won't be fully answered until Jesus returns. That might be a while, as people throughout history have seen. The good news, though, is that in these parables, these parables also hint that there might be some very good, very hopeful reasons for God's delay. In fact, I'm going to talk this morning about three possibilities for God's silence to your prayers. And I want to emphasize these are only possibilities. And I stress this because these these prayers, the prayers you're even thinking of now, are, are very personal matters to us. They're very dear to us. Why hasn't God answered my prayer for healing? Healing for me, healing for my spouse, healing for a loved one. Why hasn't God opened that door for a new career path? that I've asked for almost every day? Why hasn't he heard my prayer for someone I desperately want to come into the kingdom and come become a Christian, trust their life to Jesus? Why hasn't he listened to me when I've asked for help for my six-year-old who doesn't have a friend at school or who's struggling with self-doubt or self-confidence? Why hasn't he provided that best friend, that partner, or that child I've been requesting? And in his word, God does give us possibilities while even these deeply held prayers of ours go unanswered. But I want to emphasize again, they are but possibilities. Ultimately, as Isaiah 55, 9 reminds us, and Gordon kind of alluded to earlier, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There's, There's room, so much room for mystery because God is God. And we want him to be God. We don't want to understand everything about him or he wouldn't be God. So so with each possibility I list, I need to explain, I want you to hear me, it's not necessarily God nor me pointing a finger at you and saying, this is you, this is why he hasn't answered your prayer. One possibility might apply to you, 
another may not apply to you. So I, I want to even pray now. God, Father, we ask for discernment this morning. Please give us discernment to sort out what might apply to us and what might not. Give us the, the guts to consider what might apply to us and the grace to dismiss what doesn't. And help us so we can grow in our love for you and our trust in you in our prayer life. In Jesus' name, amen. So <clears throat> possibility number one for why our prayers might go unanswered. And the possibility number one is we are not ready. We are not yet ready. And this is the hardest of all possibilities to hear, even consider, is that we might not yet be ready to receive that answer to prayer. Jesus tells these two fascinating stories, very similar stories, right? The neighbor for bread, the judge for the widow, that, that are aimed to hit home with those listening to him. So it helped give a bit of background. In the story about bothering a neighbor at midnight, that door that stays shut, see there, there in Luke 11, the door that stays shut, it would have had an iron bar across that door going through three rings in the door panels. And removing it would have caused a ton of noise. Just rattling noise, getting that bar off. In addition to that, almost certainly in a Palestinian home, everyone was sleeping not only in one room, but on one mat. Imagine one very bad mattress that your whole family is sleeping on. And, because he's dad, the father is almost certainly sleeping in the middle. So when there's that knock on the door, you get that, you get dad climbing all over everyone, right? Everybody's woken up. The house of people are inconvenienced, right? They're upset, they're angry, because you couldn't wait to make that request. You couldn't even wait till the morning. And Jesus is asking, do you have that kind of faith? That, that nothing worries you compared to getting to God with that request. In the story of the widow and the judge, Jesus blatantly sort of asked that question. Will the Son of Man find this kind of faith on the earth? <clears throat> Imagine, had the widow's request for justice been answered immediately? What if the judge said, sure? It's very possible she wouldn't have developed the kind of faith in God that, that God wished to, to mold, to shape, to grow in her. If you just said, sure, sure. Have you considered that, that what molding and shaping you might miss out on if God just straight away answered your prayer request? You might miss out on something. One of my favorite, my favorite all-time writings on prayer are from the Scottish missionary to South Africa, Andrew Murray. Uh, he wrote a devotional we have. Actually, at the back, you could pick it up later. It's wonderful, I recommend it. It's called With Christ in the School of Prayer. It's a classic. And, and in this book, he gives this wonderful illustration based on these two parables. And, and I, I like to think that he was relating back to the South African farmer from, from Bloemfontein or something like that, who, who longs for his harvest to come through, but he knows, that farmer knows, he needs the fullness of water. He needs the fullness of rain, of sunshine, and the right kind of soil. And so the farmer stays patient. He goes on to say, we also know the experience of being a child. And being a child who wants to pick that half-ripe fruit. Right? You, you just see it out there. You see food. It looks pretty good to you. You grab it. You bite into it. And you're like, ooh. Only the experienced farmer knows the proper time to pick that thing off the tree, right? Here's what Murray goes on to say. I'll quote him directly. It is the father in whose hands are the times and seasons who alone knows the moment when the soul or the church is ripened to that fullness of faith in which it can really take 
and keep the blessing. And so there's a time, and there's not, there's a time when we're ready, when we're ripe, there's a time when we're not. When I was a child, my father often visited the Far East, Singapore, Hong Kong, etc. And he'd always bring back my much older brother and sister really cool gifts, often knock-off CDs or tapes back then. Um, and th- that was weird, of like Paula Abdul and things like that. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. But I just asked for one thing. I asked for a samurai sword. I went to the Far East. I want a sam- I'd love to have a samurai sword, please. Thankfully, my father just stayed silent every time I asked. Stayed silent. Had he given it to me at the age of eight? I may only have nine fingers today, right? That's one of the possibilities. And maybe less than that. As I got older, I proved my responsibility. My dad brought me home that sword. Interestingly enough, I kept it into adulthood. And when Mason turned eight, he asked to use that sword and had a hard time understanding why I wouldn't give it to him. Same age, same time, but only a father knows when we're ready. For instance, we aren't ready to be foster parents, even though we've been praying about it for years. At the beginning of last year, we submitted all the necessary paperwork our family did to be foster parents. We were interviewed. We received a home visitation to make sure we had suitable home conditions for a child possibly coming into our lives. We didn't hear back from like a year. I said, God, why are you denying this? I, I don't understand. We, we want to do this to serve, to love And then our family experienced a a just debilitating health crisis. You've heard me talk about this a little bit. And and that that health crisis expended our time, our resources, our energies. And while while my boys and I finally went up and visited Katie in the U.S., while we were there, we finally received that year-long-awaited email from DCFS saying, are you ready to take the next step for foster care? And it was like a very clear I see God. I see. Closed door. God has, you had a reason, Father, for this delay. We weren't yet ready. We weren't ready. We just didn't know that. So I want to ask something major of you, even as you listen to these stories, think about your own life. I want to encourage you to have the guts to consider this possibility or the grace to dismiss it. The guts to consider maybe I'm not yet ready to receive that prayer. Maybe there's something God wants to do in me. There's something I need to realize in my life. I'm not yet ready. Or the grace to dismiss it. I also don't want you to go home and, th- and just be there tonight, just striving over this. God, I'm not good enough. God, you don't care about me. If, if you're in that place, if, if the conviction just turns into guilt and shame and, and, and a burden on you that's not lifted, it's a pretty good sign that's not the possibility here. That's not for you. Here's a series of questions that might help you discern. Okay, these are just some questions. That's not, this is not an exact science. If I stop praying for healing, would I continue to depend on God and my prayers? If God answered my prayer for a partner, am I yet the kind of partner I've been praying for? Am I the kind of person I've been praying for? If I got that better promotion or job, would I get better at generosity with my time, with my talents, with my treasure? If God was generous to me in that way, will I be generous in response to him? These are just some questions, some possibilities. I'll move on here, though. There's a second possibility for why our prayers may be met with silence, and that is he is teaching us to pray what is best. 
God is teaching us to pray what is best. And what's best is God's increasing presence in our lives. God increasing in our lives. Like John the Baptist said, God must, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. I read again the last verse from this passage in Luke 11 that we read. And it goes like this. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Holy Spirit is God dwelling inside all of us who trust Jesus. If you've trusted your life to Jesus, God the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, makes his dwelling place inside of you. What does he do? He produces Jesus-like qualities in you. He makes you gradually more like Jesus. He convicts us of sin and rebellion when we wander from Jesus. He helps us understand the Bible so we can honor Jesus with our life. He helps us know what to pray so we might not know what to say to Jesus. We don't always know. He gives us special gifts like supernatural talents so we can serve the people of Jesus. These are just some of the things the Holy Spirit does. And we're told, actually, in the New Testament, Ephesians 5.18, that we, as people, God dwelling in us, we as people like vessels, we are almost like balloons, would be my comparison, that, that we can be further filled with the Holy Spirit, and there are times we leak out as well. We're never devoid. If you trust Jesus, you're never devoid of the Holy Spirit. We can leak and we can be further filled. And so it's right for Jesus to say, ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Now I want us to do something here. I want us to compare what Jesus says here in Luke 11 with Matthew 7. It'll be up here on the screen. Again, Luke 11, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now read Matthew 7. If then you know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father, who's in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? What did you notice there in the difference? In fairness, I've italicized it on the screen and probably bolded it as well. So so I'm cheating a little bit, but hopefully you noticed the difference. Pretty much the exact the same, except Luke, who, who wrote later, has decided to go with Jesus' more specific teaching. Not good things generally, but the Holy Spirit specifically to those who ask for him. Now, this apparent discrepancy shouldn't, shouldn't alarm us. It's likely that Jesus sort of busted out his best sermons more than once and included some slight nuances in what he said, and we find that here. And I'm so glad he did because it gives us insight, doesn't it, into the mind of God when we pray. There are sometimes good things we should be praying for, and sometimes there's the, the best thing we should be praying for. You're praying for healing. You're praying for provision. You're you're praying for blessing. In other words, good things and good on you for that. But it is possible that Jesus wants to shift our our sort of prayer attention, our prayer antennae, if you will, to God's increasing presence in our lives so that we might become the kind of people who not only hold up but produce fruit, grow, and, and, and honor Jesus when other good things are withheld, right? When... Many people, when they don't get that good thing they're praying for, they wither in their faith. They walk away and wither. But in asking for the very best thing, more of God in our lives, more of the Holy Spirit, maybe, maybe God is trying to grow us to be the kind of people who can, who can handle, who can even grow and flourish in the midst of not getting all of those specific things you ask for. Does that make sense? He's teaching us to pray for the very best thing. Here's a third and final possibility for unanswered prayers. He has something greater in mind for us. Look at chapter 11, verses 
11 through 12. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, instead give him a scorpion? It's kind of a humorous teaching here. And it's also very wise because notice what Jesus does not say. Isn't oftentimes what people don't say really hits us? Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, when he asks for a fish, he gives you a fish. Or when he asks for eggs, he, he serves up eggs. Rather, he will give you neither serpent nor scorpion because a good father knows how to give good gifts. In other words, when you ask for something good, our father will give good, dot, dot, dot. It just might not be the specific good you asked for. Right? He's not going to give you a scorpion. He's not going to give you a, a snake or a serpent. He's going to give you good, just not necessarily that fish you asked for, those eggs you asked for. And this is really, really good news because I know in my life I can only see one step ahead. And the next, the next thing I'm supposed to do, I can see usually, well, a day ahead. I can see a moment ahead at best, sometimes a week ahead. And even that's very vague. It's very out there. Whereas we have the Heavenly Father who sees 10, 20, 30 steps ahead. Things we can't see. And so that's why he loves to give us immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Because he's a good father who knows best, who sees those 10, 20, 30 steps ahead of what we can see. So read this verse with me here. Ephesians 3, 17 through 21. Paul prays this for this church in Ephesus. He prays, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and how high, how long and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you might be full, filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's walk through this prayer for a minute here because it's so important to understand this point. Did you catch the size of what Paul prays first? That we'd somehow grasp the, the height, the width, the length, and the depth of Jesus' love for us? Every time I even think of that in, in a mental image, it's like I see this big empty swimming pool and I keep trying to expand it. I don't know why I think of a swimming pool. I just do. And it just keeps going and going, trying to grasp the total square footage of Jesus' love for us. But Paul feels the need to qualify that with more size. But he can do immeasurably more, which is like mind-blowing. We hear the silence often because God has prepared for us something greater, for, for, for more square footage than you could even imagine in your life. You could even conceive. Emily Cavanaugh, she was an unanswered prayer and an important one. Well, Billy Graham, he loved to study the Bible, and so he attended the Florida Bible Institute. But he attended that place specifically not just because of the Bible, but because of his love for sports, sunshine, and his love for the lady folk. He was a, he was a young man, and that's sometimes what happens as a young man. Billy began praying for a wife immediately when arriving at the Florida Bible Institute, thinking that's what he needed in his life, to take that next step as a man his prayers were met with silence until, so he thought, along came a tall brunette named Emily Cavanaugh. He loved this woman and he proposed to her after just one semester in school. 
But she was reluctant. She deliberated about it for months. Finally, she accepted, only to be told one evening, a few weeks later, that I have to hand you back the ring. She decided instead to hitch her wagon to Billy's classmate, a man named Charles Massey, because she saw in him what she didn't see in Billy, goals, plans, responsibility. After months of struggling with this, pain and angst, struggling with God, late one night on the 18th green of a golf course, Billy cried out, okay, Lord, if you want me, you got me. I'm never going to let, I'm never going to get Emily, so I'm going to follow you instead. I'm never going to let any girl or anyone else in my life come first before you again. So you see here, through the Father's extreme generosity of unanswered prayer, Billy is ready to receive something far greater. A a, a calling. A a wonderful wife named Ruth Graham. A ministry that included preaching the good news about Jesus to 285 million people in 185 countries. Immeasurably more. That's a third possibility. He may just have something greater in mind for you. So so my prayer this morning is that some of these possibilities will bring you comfort, maybe even convict, maybe even tweak your understanding of God, alter your prayer life. But but where immediately do we go from here? How how are we supposed to respond? We may have gotten comforting reasons why it might be possible God's not answering our prayer, but where do we go from here? Let me suggest two responses. Number one, Keep going to Jesus with unanswered prayer. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. That's what all those things imply a continual doing. Asking again, seeking again, knocking again. Remember Jesus' final question after the, after the widow's persistence. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? It's often in the perseverance, in the asking, in the seeking, in the knocking, that God's producing in us the kind of faith that we can finally receive and take hold that blessing we've been asking for. It's often in the persevering that God's changing our perspective to pray for his increased presence in our life and not just the blessing. It's often in the persevering and continually going back to God again and again that you remember the, the, the darker backdrop of unanswered prayers, so that the brilliance of God's originally more can shine all the brighter, like, like a diamond against a black cloth. You're praying, you're praying, and it's dark, and you don't see anything, and all of a sudden, the brilliance of God's immeasurably more comes into your life. But it's only if you keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, do you get to see the fullness of the brilliance of what God's doing. So keep going to him with those unanswered prayers. But number two, keep looking to Jesus unanswered prayers. Wait a minute. You might ask, Jesus had unanswered prayers? He did. During the most excruciating, desperate moments of Jesus' life, his Father in heaven does not answer the prayer of the Son. Luke 22, Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw in Gethsemane. He knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. This was the cup destined for Jesus. It was the the cup of just judgment. God had to punish sin. So the punishment for the sin of the world would go on Jesus. And and Jesus prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But the Father was not willing. Mark chapter 15, the ninth hour, 
Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus hears nothing in return. See, friends, at the cross, God said no to Jesus so that he might forever say yes to us. Yes to forgiveness of sins. Yes to a reconciled relationship with our Creator forever. Yes to God never leaving nor forsaking us. Yes to God never giving up on us until he sees that good work in us brought to completion. And so if you're still struggling with with God's generosity in not answering your prayers, I want to encourage you to look to the prayers of Jesus which which went unanswered. Because in staying silent, God did something immeasurably greater than we could ever conceive or imagine. Let's pray. Father, we submit to you our pain, our anxiety, our emotions, and sometimes just our lack of emotion, our apathy because of unanswered prayers. We want to be real and honest with you about that. Thank you for, for Jesus, for your wisdom, even in these parables, of seeing some, some reasons, some possibilities of what you want to be doing in us as we wait for those prayers to be answered, as we wait for justice to finally come in full into our lives and the lives of those we love. Thank you for those. And and God, where there's mystery, where where we still don't understand, help us look to you, Jesus. The greatest example of all unanswered prayer. That must have been so painful, Jesus. That must have been so awful to not hear back from the Father for for the first times in your life, in your existence, to not hear back from him. And yet, something immeasurably more, immeasurably greater was going on. Our salvation through Jesus Christ. Thank you, and all glory and honor be to you, our good Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.